Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Say Zade is December 14th. I'm Steven Massa. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, pardon me if I sound a little bit defeated or a little bit angry during this episode. I just lost my fantasy playoffs. I was up against Tyreek Hill, which you will hear shortly why that was a very bad matchup for me uh, this week. But to go over this game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs, I told you guys beforehand, even if the Dolphins end up losing, I'm sure there are a ton of things we could look at as a positive. And that's kind of the main sentiment I have after this game, but to get right into it, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Miami Dolphins by a score of 33-27 to on Sunday. The Dolphins fall to 8-5 with the loss, and the Chiefs move to 12-1 and clinch the AFC West. Now, first takeaway here is that this team, being the Miami Dolphins, this team has heart. In many ways, this game was kind of similar to the end of last season. Last year, the Dolphins were competing with a very depleted roster, but whether it was by scheme and coaching or by raw emotion, they won a handful of games that most people would say they had no business winning. So the Dolphins entered this game without running backs Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, Matt Breida. They were, of course, already missing Preston Williams. And then in this game, they would lose Devontae Parker at the half with a leg injury. Mike Isiki would also be lost towards the tail end of this game. The offensive line was missing guard Eric Flowers, and that was just on the offense. On the defense, Defensive side. The team was without linebackers Kyle Van Noy and Alandon Roberts. And in the third quarter, the Dolphins lost Bobby McCain with an ankle injury. Now, despite all the missing pieces on the offense, Tungo Vailoa had a career high 316 yards with three total touchdowns. Despite all the missing pieces on defense, they were able to intercept Mahomes three times, only the second time that's happened in his career. And despite all the missing pieces across the whole board, the Dolphins lost to the best team in football by only six points. So we'll begin here by taking a deeper look. The Dolphins kept this game close early on. Mahomes entered this game with two interceptions on the whole season. In the first quarter, the Dolphins intercepted him twice. The first interception came after a deflection by Andrew Van Ginkle that Byron Jones was able to snag. That was Jones's first interception since 2017. Crazy to think about. All the way back in October of 2017. Now, the second interception came after a high throw by Mahomes, which was deflected into the air by Edwards Hilaire as he attempted to catch it. Now, Eric Rowe was able to make a play on the ball and intercept that one. Those first two interceptions, though, only led to three points for Miami as Jason Sanders surprisingly missed a field goal. Then, in the first quarter, Jerome Baker was able to track down a sprinting Mahomes for a sack that resulted in a loss of 30 yards. This play was one of the best effort plays by a Miami Dolphins player all season. If you haven't seen the replay of it, I highly recommend it. This was just a true, the definition of an effort play here by Jerome Baker. Now, Chiefs Tyreek Hill found the end zone on a 30-yard run for a touchdown. Again, this was a run, and he did not have a single reception in the first half. Now, at the half, the Dolphins were only down by four points. It was actually in the second half where things began to slightly unravel for 
Miami. Mahomes found Tyreek Hill for a 44-yard touchdown. This one was through the air. On the following drive, Chiefs receiver Mecole Hardman returned a punt for 67 yards for a touchdown. Then two drives later, Tungavailoa held on to the ball too long. The pocket collapsed and it resulted in a safety. The Dolphins would be able to climb back in here after some turnovers and this absolutely spectacular touchdown grab by Mike Kosicki, but ultimately they would lose this game by one score. That safety that I mentioned and the field goal that was missed by Jason Sanders proved to be costly for this team. Now, overall, it was a great game from Tungo Vailoa. Again, a career-high 316 yards. He had several mistakes, including that safety and just general accuracy on a handful of the passes. He threw his first interception of this season and also his career on a deep pass to Jakeem Grant. The pass, which was a little bit underthrown, bounced off the hands of Jakeem Grant and was intercepted by Tyron Matthew. Now, there were also several instances, though, that remind you why he is such an intriguing player. He displays an already impressive pocket presence, appearing unfazed by defenders barreling down towards him and being able to make these very quick sidesteps to dodge pressure. He uses his eyes like a veteran, going through several reads and trying to disguise his primary target by looking away from him. Considering the weapons at his disposal in this game outside of Mike Kosicki, they were Jakeem Grant, Malcolm Perry, Lynn Bowden Jr., and Mac Hollins. This may have been one of his better performances so far of the year. Now, Tua, who has been reluctant to really throw the ball downfield this season, played a lot more openly in this game. He completed 7 of 17 passes beyond 10 yards downfield. And remember, this was a player who at some games wouldn't even have a single pass completed beyond 10 yards. Tungavailoa's average intended air yards this week, which was, you know, attempted passes, how far they traveled in the air, it was 9.5, which was fourth most in the NFL this week. Now, tight end Mike Kosicki, who had two very good games consecutively right before this one, had another good one here. In his last three games, he has 186 yards and four touchdowns. He had two more in this game. Now, unfortunately, in the fourth quarter, Kosicki suffered what appeared to be a serious injury. He was driven into the ground with most of the force kind of impacting near the top of his helmet and the shoulder area. The mechanics of this hit instantly reminded me of Aaron Rodgers' injury back in 2017 where he sustained a broken collarbone. Again, I don't know if that's what happened here, but this is just the kind of hit that it reminded me of. Gesicki was visibly in pain grabbing at that shoulder and he walked off the field appearing unable to lift that corresponding arm. So again, hopefully Mike Gesicki, uh, you know, hopefully he's all right, first of all, because we don't know what the injury is and if it is indeed something serious and hopefully he can make a speedy recovery. Now, though the Dolphins have two solid tight ends in Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen, losing Mike Kosicki would be like losing a primary receiver at this point. With this group already lacking weapons, this would of course be a massive blow for an already depleted receiver group. Now, receiver Devontae Parker did not catch a ball in today's game. He nearly had a touchdown on a contested pass in the end zone, but was unable to reel it in. Parker left to the locker room just before the half with a leg injury, and he did not return. Now, receiver Lynn Bowden Jr., who had the best game of the season last week, improved even further this week. He led the Dolphins in receiving yards in this game, catching seven of his nine targets for 82 yards. Now, most of his catches were on these short to intermediate little out routes, but he also had a nice 22-yard catch down the center of the field. It was on the last drive. It was right down the center, and he held onto the ball while 
while taking a big hit. Now, the Dolphins also tried a few trick plays involving Bowden receiving a handoff and then attempting to throw a pass. Now, neither one of those resulted in a positive play, and I do like seeing the creativity, but the Dolphins' lack of threatening weapons makes it hard for a defense to overcommit on any players. I think that's mostly when these trick plays work. I mean, we saw today uh, Derrick Henry did a flea flicker. You see all the defense bite the second he gets the ball, and then they were able to make a play and throw it to A.J. Brown. With the Dolphins not really having anybody that kind of imposes that kind of threat, I can see why these trick plays didn't necessarily work, but you know, I've been clamoring for more creativity, so I'm not going to knock them for trying to spice up the offense a little bit here and find interesting ways to produce. Now, it was another week in another rough outing for wide receiver Jakeem Grant. Grant had another two drops in this game, one of which was on a third down. The other resulted in Tungavailoa's first interception. Grant has had more than enough opportunities, I think, to prove that he can be more than a special team specialist, but as of right now, he has been unable to do much with them. Now, it may be early to say this, but it seems unlikely as of right now that Grant is a member of the team in 2021. Uh, his speed and ability as a returner, I think, will make it likely that he lands on another team with a pretty decent role, but as of right now, I just can't see him as a member of the team moving forward. Now, the Dolphins' running game was largely ineffective in this game. As expected with Gaskin, Ahmed, and Brita all out, DeAndre Washington led the team in carries against his former team that traded him at the trade deadline, but it was far from a revenge game from him as Washington only finished with 35 yards on 13 carries. Now, the offensive line kind of struggled in this game. Tungvalu was sacked four times, including that safety where the pocket just completely collapsed. There were also other sacks, specifically one by Austin Jackson, where he didn't even get a chance to get a hand on his man. It was partly due to a tremendous jump by uh, Chiefs defensive tackle uh, Chris Jones, but still, that's not acceptable. On another play, the defender hit Solomon Kinley with a little bit of a hesitation and blew right by him, nearly untouched for another sack. There were absolutely no holes either for the Dolphins in terms of the running game, forcing them to become one-dimensional. The Dolphins in this game averaged 3.3 yards per carry, and their longest run was a nine-yard scramble by Tua, so that is not a good sign for the running game. Now, defensively, I think the team played about as good as one could hope a team could play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes was intercepted three times, and as mentioned earlier, the first two were by Byron Jones and Eric Rowe, and the third interception came via the Defensive Player of the Year candidate, Xavier Howard. Howard leaped up with one hand to snag a remarkable interception in front of Tyreek Hill. The interception looked very similar to uh, Brent Grimes' famous pick. It was truly beautiful and will be in the conversation for interception of the year. Just a truly remarkable grab. And then Jerome Baker, who had two and a half sacks in this game and two tackles for a loss. Baker was all over the field and has been thriving in this defense. Now, towards the tail end of this game, Byron Jones was able to punch out the ball from Nicole Hardman, which Camu Gruje Hill recovered. Uh, defensive tackle Raekwon Davis had a massive stop on third down where it was a run to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He was able to stop him dead in his tracks and basically push him back as if he was a little kid. Now, defensive tackle Zach Sealer also had several huge plays in this game, including a massive tackle for a loss of seven yards. His three tackles for a loss were a team high and the guy just looked like an absolute monster in the trenches ripping through that offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Dolphins front overall did a good job at congesting those running lanes.
Canes. Edwards Hilaire would run the ball 16 times in this game for a total of 32 yards. That averages to two yards per carry, which is a huge improvement by the Dolphins in terms of their ability to stop the run. Now, tight end Travis Kelsey got the best of Eric Rowe in this game. Rowe had done a fine job at neutralizing the tight end position this season, but in this game, Kelsey won. Kelsey finished the game eight catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. In the third quarter, Kelsey went up for a contested catch and just completely mossed safety Eric Rowe, which was a little bit disheartening to see. Now, on his touchdown, Kelsey was over there near the pylon as uh, Mahomes was moving right and trying to buy time, and it looked like Andrew Van Ginkle was in front of him, but he made the decision to go after Mahomes. Xavier Howard was just kind of guarding the sideline, unaware of where Kelsey was, and Jerome Baker was trying to catch up to Kelsey. Overall, though, he was just wide open in the end zone, even though there were several Dolphins players around him that appeared to be in a solid position to have done something. Now, Kelsey leads the entire NFL in receiving yards. Again, this is not just among tight ends. Kelsey is the leader in receiving yards among all positions right now. Now, Tyreek Hill, who had 79 yards receiving in the second half, was also able to slice through this defense with relative ease. After safety, Bobby McCain left the game with the ankle injury. Mahomes promptly found Hill on a 44-yard touchdown reception. Safety Clayton Fedulum came in to replace Bobby McCain. Fedulum took a few steps forward, and that was really just enough for Hill to outrace them to the top of the field. Now, though Hill only had one carry in this game, he led the Chiefs in rushing yards. His 32-yard run for a touchdown showcased that game-breaking speed that he possesses, and it also featured a missed tackle by Eric Rowe and just a terrible angle that was taken by safety Clayton Fedulum. Now, before we get into my takeaways here, I had a few comments on Twitter, and they're both very interesting, so I wanted to go over them. The first of those was by Tone Lantern on Twitter, and he said, for the young fans out there, this game reminds me of Marino's rookie season in 83 when the Finns lost in overtime to the Bills 38-35. Shula was smiling after the game because he found his quarterback. Imagine if Tua had some weapons and not the JV team with him. So as you guys know, I am 26, so my earliest cognitive memories that I can, you know, recollect about the Dolphins are around, you know, the late 1990s, maybe early 2000s era. So that's kind of the Marino I knew. It was still enough to get me infatuated with the team and get me very hyped up. But, you know, it's interesting to hear these things like this because it kind of reiterates that same sentiment that I get when I would hear stories from my dad or my uncle about how elite the Dolphins used to be. Now, when it comes to Tua in general, the thing that I think I like the most about Tua right now, I can't flat out say that this guy's a Hall of Famer right now, but what looks very encouraging to me from him is that his mistakes seem to be coming on something that is very fixable. You know, it's the chemistry not being there. Or it's him missing on throws where you can see he has the accuracy to do it, but he's just messing up or there seems to be some confusion involved. But when it comes to him looking like a veteran in the pocket or him, uh, you know, being unfazed with pressure or him going through his reads and making guys, uh, you know, move around with his eyes and can being able to control a defense in that aspect and also take what is given. I think that's what excites me most about Tua because I think when it's the other way around, you know, a guy can have all the arm talent in the world, but if he doesn't possess those qualities that I just mentioned about Tua, then what good is it having that electric arm if you can't make the right decisions with it? So that's what I like the most right now about Tua, and it's awesome to hear that people are kind of uh, finding these parallels with their memories from what it was when Marino first entered the league. So of course, that's very exciting to hear. Now, the other comment I got on Twitter 
Twitter was from McClifford, who I mentioned before, and I gave a big shout out to. And he said basically what I said at the beginning of the episode. You can tell this team has a lot of heart. And he says here, disappointed we couldn't pull off the win, but very encouraged by what the future holds. This team has a bunch of heart. And I couldn't agree with you more. That's the exact same sentiment. This is one of those games where a win would have been phenomenal. I would have been over the moon with it, but this isn't one that I'm going to sulk around for uh, because they lost to the best team in football. I think it's just impressive enough that they only lost by one score. So to get into my takeaways here, the first one is it's obvious. You've seen it on Twitter. You've seen it everywhere. The Dolphins need more weapons offensively. The coronavirus outbreak made an already underwhelming receiver group worse, causing uh, you know Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns to opt out. But even then, with the violent nature of football, I think it was a little bit foolish of the Dolphins to think that they could enter a season with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and you know Jakeem Grant and a few others as a team's primary receivers, and the lack of depth wouldn't come back to haunt them. Now, with Williams out, with Parker and Gasicki leaving this game, and Grant being overall a pretty big disappointment, it's hard to imagine Tua making uh, you know that huge playoff run with the current state of the offense, which is a shame because it seems like there are so many pieces there on the defensive side, but we're kind of starting to see it deteriorate on the offensive side of the ball. Now, my next takeaway here is that long-term, the Dolphins look incredible, I think. Even though there are obvious needs, again, on the offensive side, that shouldn't necessarily negate all the positive moves that the Dolphins made in the offseason. Brian Flores and Chris Greer built a defensive powerhouse and turned an offensive line that was in shambles to a young and functioning one. If it was possible to completely overhaul a roster and make them competitive in the very next season, more teams would be doing it. This next upcoming offseason, I think, will be the one that features those flashy offensive additions that the fans want to see, and that's when this team will be hitting its peak, if you had to ask me. The Dolphins, as of right now, even though they lost this game, they're still perfectly on track to be a long-term success. So guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at ShadySteven and at Via the Source. If you enjoy the episode, leave a review. That would be a huge help to me. If you have any questions, topics, or things that you would like for me to discuss, if you just have uh, uh, something that you want to share with people and you, you think it's a good idea, feel free to send it to me on Twitter and I'll gladly do so on the podcast. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up though. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso and this was Via the Source.